This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. Has anyone ever promised you something, but only later disappointed you that they didn't follow through? Perhaps one of your kids promised that if you would get them a puppy, that they would always clean up after it, feed it, and take it for a walk, and you believed them. Or maybe uh, your husband tells you that he promises that he's going to finish those home projects any day now. Or perhaps a neighbor who borrowed a tool has promised to bring it back and it's still sitting in their garage. Joel, if you're listening, by the way, I do promise to bring you back the tools you lent me. I so appreciate it. But a promise is only as good as a promise kept. The hope that someone promises you is only as good as if they keep it. It's no good for parents to promise kids that they're going to show up at their sporting event or show up at their performance later just to call and say something came up. In fact, I think a lot of our hurts and our wounds come from unfulfilled promises that just disappoint us. And we're human. We're not perfect. We often will disappoint people. We'll overpromise because we love them and care for them and we want what's best for them. But then we fail to deliver because life gets in the way or we just allow other things to be elevated ahead of it. Now, there's something about promises that builds hope. There's a hope that comes with promises that there's going to be something received, something done, something that will instrumentally change perhaps even my life and its outlook. But that hope can often disappoint if it's delayed or unfulfilled. And when we think about promises that are made, oftentimes we look at promises that have been made that weren't fulfilled and we think, gosh, I'll never trust anyone ever again. Or we look at promises that are given to other people that are great promises that are certain to be fulfilled. We're just sad because they're not for us because, well, we weren't born into that family. We don't subscribe to that service. We don't belong as members to that company or club or organization. And so the promise is great and it probably is certain they're going to get it. It's just not for us because we don't seem to belong there. But here's the thing. There's the greatest promise ever given a promise that is certain to come true. This is the promise that God has of a great hope that we celebrate here at Christmas time, that we've been looking at our need for hope and then God's promise to send a rescuer for us to repair what is broken and shattered in our own world, our own lives and our own relationships. But how good is that promise? Unless God makes good on that promise. Will he be faithful and true? trustworthy to deliver on everything that he has said he would? Or will his promises be like the promises we've often received from others? Unfulfilled, disappointed. Will our hope be secure in the things that he has promised in his word? Will hope truly arrive? Well, here's the good news. Today, we're going to look at a historical account of how God fulfilled his greatest promise in sending a rescuer for you. It doesn't matter what family you belong to. It doesn't matter what services you subscribe to. This great promise is for you. So we're going to look at God's promise to all people who need it. And God's, and God's promise realized for all people who would receive it. Those are the two things in this story. So grab your Bibles. We're going to go to the historical account in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, the arrival 
of God's promised hope. Luke 2 picks up the story of Christ's birth. And where we're going to look in verse 21 is after he's been born, this is no longer in the stable, in the manger scene. This is now in the temple courts where Mary and Joseph have now brought Jesus to the temple to fulfill the law of Moses. We'll start in verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. That's the promise of hope, God's promised rescuer, his Messiah. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to the people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phenel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and prayer night and day, And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. God's promised hope for those in need has arrived. And this promised hope is for all, for all who are in need and is realized for all who would receive it, take it. And so first I want to look at that God's promised hope is for all who need it. The first thing we see in this text is that Mary and Joseph have been righteous, God-fearing parents. And Jesus is doing the requirements of the law of Moses. that He has to be circumcised on the eighth day. Now, Jesus can't do that for himself. And how wonderful it is that parents will raise him according to the laws of Moses so that he will be righteous. Remember, Jesus has to be a perfect spotless sacrifice, having done the law perfectly. And then they have brought him up to the temple according to the law of Moses. They brought him up because in the law of Moses, it says that the firstborn male of human beings and animals was, a, was actually belonging to the Lord. And that you would bring two sacrifices. One is a burnt offering and one is a sin offering. And by giving those two offerings to the Lord, you would actually 
redeem or ransom that person back or that animal back into your family. And so here, Mary and Joseph are doing the very thing that the law requires of Jesus. Now, why is that important? Why is it important that Jesus does these things so that he can give his hope for all? Well, Galatians 4, verse 4, actually gives us the theology of what's happening here. Turn your Bibles to the right. Get over to Galatians chapter 4. And what we see here is the fulfillment of what Jesus has come to do. Galatians 4, 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons or daughters, children of God. But in order to redeem those who are born under the law, Jesus himself must put himself under it. He must uphold the law perfectly at every moment of his life. And it begins eight days right after he is born, according to the laws of Moses. See, he's, he's here to redeem those under the law. When, when Simeon says, my eyes have seen your salvation, a light to the Gentiles, the glory for Israel is for everyone who is under the law. He's a law breaker. So if he's going to be the glory of Israel, then he has to be under the law of Israel. If he's going to be a light to the Gentiles, a savior to the Gentiles, the world, well, then he must uphold God's law perfectly. Now, some of us think, okay, why does it matter? I'm not, a, I'm not a rule breaker of God's law. Well, actually, we all are. None of us have upheld God's law perfectly. And before you think that you have, just think of it this way. Have any of us upheld our own standards of right and wrong perfectly? Not a chance. If you're like me, there are things that you consider wrong that you still do. And there are things you consider right that you don't even do. And so our own standards of right and wrong condemn us, let alone the standards of God. And so if God's going to be the hope for all people, well, then he must put himself under God's law and fulfill it perfectly. And so here at the temple, it begins. But not only that do we see here in his hope for all who need it. We see it not based on socioeconomic class, privileged positions, accolades or accomplishments, that his hope will not be reserved for one tribe or one people group, but it'll be for all people. Look at just the situation again at the temple courts. Here, Mary and Joseph have brought the required sacrifices according to the law of Moses. And, and Luke here records for us that it's two, two birds, two turtle doves. Now that is true in the law of Moses, but that's actually an addendum to the law. As God desires that all people can be participating in his worship, he knows that it's very costly, according to the law on the firstborn males, to bring a lamb or a goat and a turtle dove. The lamb would be used for the burnt offering and the bird for the sin offering. But there's a provision made in the law that if you cannot afford a lamb because it's too expensive, that you can bring two birds. I, I love the goodness of God not wanting anyone to be outside the worshiping community because of their socioeconomic class, that he allows anyone to be able to come and worship him because you can grab two turtle doves, those are readily available even if you can't afford a lamb. And Luke recording that for us here lets us know that Mary and Joseph are not well-to-do. Jesus is not born into a wealthy, well-to-do, prestigious family. 
He's born into a family of poverty. That's why they're bringing two turtle doves instead of a lamb and a dove or a pigeon. And so right here, it shows us that the hope that is birthed at Christmas is not dependent on your privileged social standing. It is for all who need it. Look at where also this happens at the courts of the temple that Simeon sees Jesus and upholds and holds Jesus here and says, my eyes have seen your salvation. He takes the child from Mary. You know what that means? It means that Simeon didn't find Jesus inside the inner courts and gates of the temple. He's not in the Holy of Holies. It's where the high priest can go once a year. He's not even in the holy place where just the priests are allowed to minister. He's not even outside the gate of the holy place where only men are allowed to go. Here he meets Mary and Joseph in this court, the courts of women, because Mary's there. This is probably just past the courts of Gentiles, which is allowing God's salvation to be seen by Simeon in the common courts with men and women. He's not revealed in the Holy of Holies amongst the priesthood. In fact, what's said of Simeon right here is just simply this, a man in Jerusalem. Not the high priest, not a prestigious person. No, it's just, it's just a man. His name is Simeon. He lives in Jerusalem. And what's known about him is he's a righteous man. He's seeking God. And think about the, the next character is, is Anna, this prophetess. She's just a worshiper. I mean, she is an elderly widow which would be considered probably low class in Israel at this time. Think about the people that are revealing the hope of God and how they're revealing it. It is so that people would know that God's promised hope of salvation is for all who need it. Men and women, those who have and those who don't, those who have acquired and those who have not acquired, those in great positions and those in lowly positions, God's salvation, as Simeon says, is for all people. A light to the Gentiles, the glory of Israel, that is the world is able to receive God's great hope. And this hope is for salvation. Now, when, when Simeon's using this word salvation, salvation is kingdom language. When we think of salvation, we often think of just getting our sins forgiven so that we can go to heaven. Salvation is proverbially fire insurance. That's not the way that Luke is thinking of it, that Simeon is thinking about it. Remember when, when Mary was, was promised Jesus, that he would be the one that saves Israel from their sins, yes. But he would also be the one that reigns on David's throne to establish his kingdom on the earth forever. That when we talk about salvation, it's not just ethereal. It's not just heavenly. It is very, very earthy. So he's looking for a savior to redeem, to console Israel on earth. And so we long for salvation of God's kingdom to be on earth as it is in heaven. And so when we think about salvation, the reason we crave it and long for it is that it makes all wrongs right. Is that the kingdom of God and his salvation wipes every tear, mends every wound, cures every disease, ends every death. This is why we long for God's kingdom, his salvation to be realized at his next coming so that it would affect every single corner on planet earth. This is what salvation is. This is why Simeon is so excited that Israel will not only be saved from its sins, but 
but that the world will be reconciled, that the world will be redeemed. This is the great hope for all who need it. I'll tell you this, friends. This is exactly what the world is craving right now. When I look around the world right now, in all the ways that it is energized, they are craving for justice to be done, for wrongs to be made right, for people groups to be reconciled, for equity and equality to exist. They're craving for salvation. That's what they're craving for. And they're trying to obtain it on their own means outside of Jesus, but it just can't happen. They want everyone to be accountable for every wrong, and yet there's no place for mercy and forgiveness, which is why they're happy to go into your past or my past or anyone's past and dredge up what you did wrong 20 years ago. Take what was not known and make it public, make you feel embarrassed for it, shame you for it, offer you no forgiveness of it, and then cancel you. How great is God's salvation for all who need it? That he doesn't just dismiss evil and wickedness, but that he addresses it head on by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to receive the due penalty for our sins. That's what Jesus is here to do, to take all of the evil and wickedness, all the sins of the people, my sins and yours, and deal with it. But then also offer forgiveness and mercy so that you might be reconciled. The world wants everyone to be held accountable for what they've done, but they can't do it. There's no way to bring the world's justice and mercy together. Only Jesus Christ can do that. It's what we're craving in his salvation for all who need it. And I'm telling you, I need it. You need it and it's promised and offered to you. There's a picture that a friend of mine gave me a couple years ago. It was actually drawn up by an artist, a sister who's living in the Mississippi Abbey. And it's a picture of Eve and Mary. And I find myself in this picture of those who need hope. Take a look at this picture. Here's a picture that was drawn by one of the sisters. And it's a picture of Eve and Mary together. And just look at Eve first. Here's Eve clothed in her own hair. Here she is with her face just evidence of shame and guilt as she is downcast, looking down. In her right hand, she holds her own sin close to her heart. There is this fruit with a bite taken out of it. And there, if you look down at her leg, there is the serpent that has wrapped itself around her legs and her ankle. And I look at this picture of Eve, and I think, that's me. That's me. In my own sin and mistakes, and thinking, there's nothing I wouldn't do at this moment if I could just go make a different decision. There's nothing I wouldn't do to go back and trust the goodness of God. But here I am, broken and ruined, holding my own sin. And the adversary himself has wrapped himself around my legs. How can I be free from this? How can I be forgiven? And then look at Mary. 
Mary with her right hand has touched Eve's cheek and with her left hand taken Eve's other hand and placed it on her pregnant belly. And look at the face of Mary, a sweet and tender smile towards Eve as though she knows something that Eve has to learn. Look at the feet of Mary. Her foot is on the serpent's head. Not as though that Mary, not as though Mary would crush the serpent's head, but the one in her womb would. In this picture, you see Mary tenderly coming to Eve with the hope that is in her womb. One of the sisters who saw this drawing wrote a short poem entitled, O Eve. Listen to this poem she wrote. My mother, my daughter, life-giving Eve, do not be ashamed, do not grieve. The former things have passed away. Our God has brought us to a new day. See, I am with child through whom all will be reconciled. Oh, Eve, my sister, my friend, we will rejoice together forever, life without end. That's the hope that Jesus Christ is bringing to all who need it, that we would be forgiven and be people of the kingdom, restored, right with God, and then be released to be kingdom people now and forever that we would go into the world with the good news of the kingdom, God's salvation. When Jesus sends out the disciples, he says, go tell them about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is drawn near. If they cast out demons, the kingdom of God has come upon them. If they were healed, that's the evidence of the kingdom. When he tells parables, it's about the kingdom. It's the salvation that brings what is broken, ruined, and fractured to wholeness and peace. And this great hope is promised to everyone who needs it. But it's realized only for those who would receive it. Anyone who would receive it is given to them. But see what Simeon says, let's go back to Luke chapter two. In Luke chapter two, at the very end here, he's talking about what Jesus is going to do, that Jesus will be the gate. Jesus will be the door. Jesus will be the deciding factor of those who receive and those who don't. Look what he says, he tells to Mary. He says, this sword will pierce through your own soul so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. He's gonna look at the heart of people, those who love him and those who don't. And this will be the gate of those who rise and those who fall in Israel, as he said. Those who want him and those who don't. Though the hope is offered to all, it's realized, experienced, activated for all those who would simply receive. And Jesus will judge the hearts. Many hearts are going to be revealed. God sees everything about you. He sees everything that you know about yourself, and he sees everything you don't even know about yourself. And what he does, he calls to you, come come to me. Come to me for salvation. He sees the hearts of the religious pretenders. He sees the hearts of the religious pious and prideful. When you watch Jesus unfold the kingdom through the gospel of Luke, who are the ones that receive him? Those who recognize their own brokenness, their own shortcomings, their own failures. Who are the ones that reject him? 
those who are self-confident, assured, and want to be left alone. And here's the thing. For all those who want the hope of Jesus, there is no privileged position to get it. Everyone is equal at the place of the cross, the foot of the cross. And all those who want to receive Jesus will receive Jesus' gift of salvation freely by grace through faith in him alone. And anyone who wants nothing to do with him, he will freely let go. But here's a question. If the hope that you need is found here in salvation of Christ, what keeps your heart from coming to him this Christmas? What keeps it? From receiving what he has promised, hope has arrived. He has made good on everything he said he would. And now we live until he comes again. What keeps you from giving your life to him? This is the only means of salvation that the world is craving. Peter says it so poignantly in the gospel or the, the historical account in Acts, Acts 4, 12. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is why Simeon gets so excited. I have seen your salvation, the light for the Gentiles, the glory of Israel. This is Christmas week. We are so excited. We have just a few more days until we come together as a community and celebrate and worship our Lord and our Savior. It's my prayer that you would continue to put your eyes on Jesus this week, that you would worship him as your savior. Think about opportunities to worship and give of yourself to him in worship. And then on Christmas Eve, we're so excited to be able to gather online in our homes. I know we won't be in our building, but at 4 and 6 p.m., we would love for you to gather around those service times. They're going to start right on time. And maybe you have some friends or those who don't know Jesus. We have one final message in this series that hope has a name, that the hope has come, hope has arrived, and you can know this hope in Jesus Christ. It is my prayer that you will be with us this Christmas Eve. I love you and look forward to worshiping together with you.